Today we're going to be speaking about the topic transitioning from obstacles to opportunities. Obstacles to opportunities. And that's vital because obstacles come to us all. But the problem and I, I, that I see and I find is that most human beings have a problem with obstacles. They, they think that the obstacles that they're encountering are negative things and they think that God has forgotten about them. Or they think that they have obstacles in their life because they're bad in some inherent way. Or because of the failure or the mistakes that they've done uh, throughout different seasons in their lives. And I want to let you know, you need to really check that in your spirit. Because that's a dangerous thing uh, to, to, for you to allow to, to be in your mindset. Because it will thwart the purposes of God in your life. So we need to understand today that obstacles contain opportunities. Say that to your neighbor. Obstacles contain opportunities say to your neighbor obstacles and problems are good for you see and i see everybody frowning and they said the pastor's gone over the deep edge but let me give me a couple of minutes let me prove to you my thesis today so that you could understand another perception that you might have not have considered in times past because i want you to enjoy your journey in life one uh, major Wow, one father, living father in the faith that we have today. He said one time to us in a group of uh, us pastors in a leaders meeting, he said, it's not the goal achieved that gives you joy. It's enjoying the journey. If you learn to enjoy the journey, that's where true joy is. See, most people think when I get that, I'll be happy. Or when I reach that age, I'll be happy. Or when I get that promotion, I'll be happy. No, you won't. If you're not enjoying the journey now, you won't be happy when you get your stuff. Because stuff doesn't make you happy. At least, it doesn't make you happy long term. And we know that even in Christmas. We see that inherently in our children. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you go to YouTube or you, you see the America's Funniest Home Videos and you see when children or even adults get gifts that they really want. Anybody ever seen those uh, moments, those videos, and the kids jump up and down, they run up and down the walls, and they have such a great time. But a week later, that toy is in the closet somewhere, and they have forgotten about it, and it becomes boring after a while. Hello? So you need to understand, it's not the stuff that's going to make you happy. It's journeying in your purpose. Knowing that you're in your purpose, that's going to give you joy. So today I want to talk to you a couple of minutes about transitioning from obstacles to opportunities. Let's pray a moment. Let's bow our heads and ask the teacher to, to just teach us today. The precious Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you this wonderful morning, this morning, Lord God, that we declare that you are Lord, we declare your goodness, my God, we thank you uh, for the precious privilege of life and life eternal. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us the privilege to be children of God, co-laborers with you, and co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we're sons and daughters of Almighty God through Christ Jesus. This morning, this morning dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you teach us, bless us. Open up the eyes of our understanding. Grant that revelation knowledge would flow like rivers of living water, powerfully unhindered by any force, that we might be able to walk by faith, not by sight, that we might be able to enjoy our journey as we purpose in you. And we thank you, Father, for it. Amen. And this is vital because what happens is if, you don't, if you're not sure about your purpose, if you're not sure about your journey, what will happen is... That the moment you encounter a problem or an issue, you will tend to recoil and you will tend to give up. And the problem is nobody that gives up ever gets their inheritance. 
The inheritance only belongs to the overcomers. The inheritance only belongs to those that do not give up. They press forward. They keep on. They get hit. They fall down. They get back up. They don't remain down. The righteous man falls sometimes, but he gets back up. Say to your neighbor, he falls down, but he gets back up. See, failure is not a person. Failure is an event. And failure is temporary. You're not a failure until you believe you are. Actually, if you look very carefully, uh, all successful people, very successful people, fail more than the average person. When, when I tell you Sultan of Swat, who do you think about for you baseball fans? Babe Ruth. Are you aware that Babe Ruth was also the strikeout king? Most people aren't. Are you aware that if you have a 400 average in baseball, you're a phenomenon? But that means that you're missing 600% of the time. You got it? But you're not remembered by your failures. You're remembered by your successes. So we have to make sure and understand that the more successful you're going to become, the more you're going to have to fail. But you learn to fail forward. You learn to fail successfully. You learn to, to look at the scenario and learn in every juncture of your life. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Man, I'm excited about what I'm preaching. If you're not excited, I'm excited for me. Because I'm learning some stuff. Amen. And I'm learning that actually these things have been good for me. All that I've gone through has been good for me. Say to your neighbor, it's been good for me. Amen. But here's the problem. Humans have a tendency of looking down on people who are going through hard times at the moment. Or who have experienced some kind of failure. Say amen, Britney Spears. The minute you mess up, everybody scorns you. Every, eh, what a, what a, oh, terrible. What happens if next year she, hits, uh, she gets another hit? What's going to happen to her failure today? Huh? Don't forget about it. Everybody will run up. Oh my God, Brittany, I want your autograph. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the way it is. You see, and these people, many times you see them go through their changes. But hey, listen, don't, don't, don't be goofing on me, all right? I'm, ju- I'm, just, I'm just giving you an example, all right? I'm just, I'm just being, you know, uh, hon, you got to protect me, all right? She's saying, I don't know you. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that these people, they know how to get themselves up again and get stuff done. And it's just for temporal purposes. But we're not talking here about temporal purposes. We're talking about the purposes of God. Because when we're lit up for Jesus, people are going to be impacted eternally. People are going to be moved eternally. People are going to be changed eternally. Why? Because you are continuing in your purposes. Paul said it this way. This one thing I focus after, I strain after, I'm going to get that goal, he said. I'm not going to give up. Nothing's going to stop me. A man like that, a woman like that, let me tell you, they will be used mightily by God. And people will be touched and changed and moved forever. Amen. But the thing is, human beings have a tendency of walking away from a person that's having a hard time. That's not the time to walk away from somebody. That's time to recognize that they're going through a temporary change and God, allow, God is allowing that change for their betterment. Anything that people are going through uh, has an inherent move of God contained with it. Has an inherent, an inherent teaching, an inherent opportunity. Dr. David Jeremiah said it this way. He said, when God asks one of his servants to endure difficulty, he intends it for his glory and ultimate good. For our ultimate good. Neither the devil nor lions know what to do with people who refuse to be consumed by their culture or by their enemies. Wow. And that is true. The devil cannot stop a person that knows their purpose. 
Mark Hansen one time said this. He says, shifting your perspective about hitting rock bottom takes a shift in your thinking. Thinking about the words rock bottom, rock bottom. What does that mean to you? Rock bottom. It's usually a negative connotation. He has hit rock bottom. Anybody ever heard that? Has anybody here ever hit rock bottom? Okay. But look, watch this. Rock is a solid word. Things that are strong and tough are described as solid rock. Even the Bible describes houses that will never be destroyed as being built on rock. So if you've hit rock bottom, it's a pretty solid place to be. And it's actually a great springboard for the rest of your life. So rock bottom isn't that bad at all. Rock bottom actually is a very good place. Say to your neighbor, it's a very good place to be. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 14 through 18 Describe a scenario in which Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, had been in the process of formulating. He had seen the wall of Jerusalem. His heart was torn to shreds when he saw the wall. And he says this to to his brothers and sisters. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. That's Nehemiah 4.14. And we'll go through 18. He said, people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Say with me, remember the Lord. Now watch this. He says, remember the Lord. And then he says, who is your great and awesome, who is the great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, for your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. In the same voice, or in the same sentence, he says, remember God and fight. When a person is able to understand that God is a warrior. That God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord, the host, the Lord of the hosts, of the armies. He does not go up into a situation and run away from it or give up. He goes up to it and speaks life and he speaks destiny. And if anybody gets in his way, he takes them out of the way. You don't mess with Almighty God. Hallelujah. So Nehemiah had that revelation. But here's what happens. He was serving the king, and by the way, it wasn't a Christian king. It was a godless king, and he was there. Now, here's what's happening today. Say with me, today. God more and more is exposing us to godless situations, and he is placing us to work in the middle of godless people, of people that curse every third or fourth word. Anybody here have co-workers like that? I have several. You know, and after a while I say, guys, haven't you learned any more English? I mean, don't you have any more adjectives, any more verbs? It's the same thing over and over for crying out loud. So, you know, they know me as the preacher man now. And it's good because I'm salt and light in their setting. And God is exposing us more and more to those people. You know why? Because for a long time the church was hidden in their four walls and we were not changing anybody. We were not touching anybody. We were not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is the church exists to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To let the light of the gospel shine in society. The more the church hides, the more society gets destroyed. The more the church exposes itself and and comes around the world, among the world, the more the world will be blessed. Amen. And the more the world will know that Jesus loves them and he died on the cross for them. Well, Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. What that meant was that any time food or wine or anything was given to the king, Nehemiah had to taste it first. It was a cushy job. Because he was living in the lap of luxury. But at the same time, his life was constantly in danger. Because a lot of people hated this king. 
You know, Artax Xerxes. You remember Xerxes, the, the 300? The big, nasty kings. They were nasty kings. This guy got so angry at his wife that just because he didn't show up so he could make sport of her, that he could show it to everybody, that he, he kicked her out. He says, you're no longer my wife. You know what I'm saying? There were some terrible kings in those days. Guess what? Nehemiah, the man of God, was serving that king. And, and, and this man knew that Nehemiah was a man of God. So Nehemiah would drink the cup. I'm still alive, king. You can have your wine now. I mean, that's the tough job. Who would like that job? It pays benefits. Well, in the midst of it, he runs into some of his brothers, his Jewish brothers, and he asks the brothers, how's Jerusalem doing? He says, I haven't been there because I'm here in the palace. How's Jerusalem doing? He says, we've been there. Jerusalem's destroyed. The walls are burnt down. And they're just burnt on the floor. The, the rocks are broken. It's just a mess. And it affected him so much. He mourned. He went before God and he cried before God. So, God, what in the world's going on with the, with, with, with the city of Almighty God? And he mourned before God and he prayed before God and he fasted before God. And the Bible says that he was moved to go and fix the situation. Now, note this. He never received a specific word for him. He never heard a word from heaven. You know, like the, the type of word that Charlton Heston would hear? Moses. 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 My Lord, who is this? There was none of that. What? You enjoy it on TV, right? You got it. So anyway, he just felt the burden. He felt pain for the situation. And he innately responded. And here's a principle. The principle is, if there's a need, anybody could actually meet it. But most people won't. Anybody could meet a need, but most people won't. You know why? Most people don't feel the burden. But it takes a person with a burden to meet a need. There's a great apostle uh, in, I don't know if it's uh, Trinidad and Tobago, but he's, he's well known. He, he built over 200 churches in the island, and he's recognized as a father of the faith in that area. And he was sharing his testimony with, with us several years ago. You know what he said? He said he got saved, somebody preached to him, and then he went back to his country and there were no churches there. And he looked around, no churches. He heard no word of the Lord. He just started a church. He says, there's no church, so somebody's got to start it, so I might as well start one. Then he started another church. Then he started another church. And today there's over 200 churches, and those churches have birth churches. So they, they know him as a great, eternal Nelson is his name. He's got a very raspy voice. Doesn't even sound like a, a preacher's voice. Yeah, bless God. Hallelujah. That's how he talks. But yet, when you listen to him, what wisdom exudes from this man? And it was the wisdom of a burden. And he met the need. So you find in Nehemiah's life that he saw the need and he just went and met it. Why is it that today's Christians feel that they have to have a word of the Lord, they have to get ordained, uh, they have to be recognized, they have to study 20 years? There's so many things. You know what's behind that? Apathy, laziness, fear, worry. You don't think you're, uh, yeah, capable or worthy. There are a lot of things behind that. But you know something? Today is a day that, we, that God is stripping those things from us. 
Because it's not about how we feel. It's about those precious people that are one step away from eternity without God. And here we are consumed by our petty issues and we're forgetting that Jesus died on the cross. It was something so worrisome to him, something so terrible that he had to die on a cross to redeem mankind. And if it was so important to God that he steps and leaves eternity to come here and be a substitute, why is it that we're missing the point? Hallelujah. So, praise God, this man got involved. But he said this, he says, people, understand something. You're going to have to fight for your sons and daughters. Because what happened? He goes up to the king. And this was dangerous. Because, see, what the king wanted was men that were handsome, good looking, and they were always pleasant to the sight. And always polite. And always raring to serve. So, this man, Nehemiah, was used to going before the king. My king. Always dressed well, presented well, oil in his face, hair properly uh, combed, uh, Perfect dress, perfect garb. But this time, Nehemiah goes up to the king and his face is downtrodden. It's saddened. That was dangerous. That in itself was dangerous. Because if you go before the king in a wrong attitude, that could be your head. Oh, you're not getting this. You think your boss is hard? <laughs> you don't know what you're dealing with. You know, I see, everything is relative, people. So Nehemiah goes up before him, hands on the wife, says, What's the matter with you, Nehemiah? You look depressed. You look sad. He said, well, I should be. The city of my fathers is destroyed. He says, well, what do you want? He says, king, give me permission. I want to go rebuild the city. He goes, talks to his wife. And he says, okay. You got it. You got the permission. Oh, by the way, king, can I also have supplies? He says, okay, you got supplies. How long are you going to be out? A couple of months. Okay, no problem. You got supplies. Oh, by the way, king, can I also have letters confirming that you're sending me? He says, you got the letters too. It's an amazing thing, because this did not normally happen. It's called favor, people. Say to your neighbor, favor. One moment of favor can change your situation around. You could be working for something for 20 years, and yet one moment of favor could restore everything that the devil has taken from you. And he has to give it back with interest. And let me tell you, today's the day that God is doing that. He's doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So you catch the favor of God for your situation. Hallelujah. But the problem is, the minute he goes out and he attempts to do this work, several people in the kingdom of notoriety realize, hey, hold on a second. Here's this Jew that's going to try to rebuild that destroyed city. These Jews have no strength. And how dare this guy come against the kingdom? I think what he wants to do is rebuild Jerusalem and come against us. See, they, they didn't understand covenant. They didn't understand what God is doing. And you're going to find that the moment you catch the fire of God, the moment you get on fire for God, immediately some people are going to criticize you. Immediately some people are going to get jealous of you. Immediately some people are going to get angry at you. Immediately you're going to find the devil is going to raise up his paws against you. So what did he see? He saw the complaints and he saw people coming to him. He says, Nehemiah, we're in trouble. We're hearing a lot of murmuring at the main city that they're coming at you. You've got to watch your back. It could come at you in ten ways, ten different ways. So what did Nehemiah do? What did Nehemiah say? Oh my God, we're so afraid. Let's stop. Let's stop this project. I'm going to give up. You see, anytime I try something for God, always something happens to get in my way. He 
and it happens over and over and over again. It's like a standard issue. You know, you get a car, you get basic things. Like what? What basic things? A driving wheel, steering wheel, right? You get four tires, right? Well, guess what? Whenever God is going to move upon your life, you get tribulation, right? Right? You get temptation, yeah? It's just the way it is. It One comes with the other. Lord, I thank you because you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Table prepared means enemies watching. I'm surprised that nobody's writing today. I'm, giving, I'm throwing out so many nuggets. I tell you, you could preach like ten messages already. You could testify to your friends about table, about messages, about enemies, about Nehemiah, and none of you are writing. <laughs> Praise God. And by the way, this is just the first page. I, got, I have at least 20 for you, but of course I'm not going to give you 20. We have all month to just break this down. And there's some things that the Lord showed me, and I want you to have these very same truths and principles. You know why? When I give you one principle, God is going to add five principles to you individually. Every little thing you hear is a seed. And when you apply it to your life, watch, you get a harvest. So get ready. That's why you need to write these things. And you need to study them again. And you need to allow the Spirit of God to give you further uh, enlightenment about that particular thing. Amen? Praise God. So, let me give you a quote here. It's a psychological fact that what we cherish most, we work the hardest to gain. The further we have come, the sweeter the celebration and the destination will be when we arrive. Anything that's worth its weight in gold, you'll have to fight for. Nothing that's worth it will come easy. Oh, man, I always thought it'd come easy. Excuse me, you've been listening to the lotto commercials a little too long. You've got to get away from that lotto mentality. I am so against that thing. Yeah, that's right, I don't even pay a dollar. You've got to be in it to win it. No, what I need to do is save my money. I need to pay my bills and save my money. That's what I need to do. The only ones getting rich are the Trumps. The only ones getting rich is the government. You know? Oh, you never know. No, I know. If I want $1,000, I'm not going to play lotto for it. I'll save $1,000. We need to get out of this consumer mentality and become investors. Investors in the kingdom of God. Investors in our life. Investors in our children. Investors in our future. Invest, investors in our children's future. And stop allowing the enemy to lie to you. Some of you probably got hooked up with this Black Friday stuff. You know what Black Friday means? It means all the business is going to black. In other words, they, they, they get a, a, a huge amount of money. Why? Because people like you and me take money that we don't have and we spend it looking for bargains. See, I don't know who, who went here, so don't get me wrong. I'm not picking on you. you know. I, I just don't know. There is the truth. They made over $30 billion this Friday. We should be taking our money and putting it in IRAs, 401ks, making sure the kingdom of God is strong, making sure our kids have, have college funds. Hallelujah. It's all right. You could say, ouch. <laughs> Praise God. Look what happens here in verse, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the, wall, to the wall, each to his own work. The enemy heard that they were not giving up. And you know what happened? They got frustrated. 
And that word frustration means there, they gave up. They couldn't get in. There was no breach. They were in such unity of purpose that the enemy could not get in. I want to let you some, know something. The enemy first will come into your mind. I'm not saying he'll get in. He will come to your mind first. And he'll try to make you shift into a place of worry, into a place of fear, into a place of anguish, into a place of frustration, into a place of bitterness. And if he can achieve that, then he'll get somebody bitter to try to come to you to embitter you. And most of us don't even see it. People come to us with their pain. People come to us with their mess. And they start talking and talking and talking. And we go, yeah, you're right. Wow. You're right. You're absolutely right. No, they're not. It's their perspective. And they're in the wrong attitude. Because if you're in a bitter, angry, or frustrated attitude, nothing that you give is going to come out right. It's going to come out biased. So we need to protect ourselves from people that are spewing venom, anger, frustration, bitterness. If anybody's in a wrong place, listen, I hear what you're saying. You, you, you're, you're, you're in a place right now that you're sharing pain. Let's pray about this so that God can heal you. But don't receive it in your heart. Because then what happens is there's a full transfer of pain. And then now you're going to carry something illegal. You're going to carry something illegal. It's not your pain. It's their pain. And if they're angry at somebody, they talk to you, and it almost seems like what they're saying is correct. But excuse me, people, there's always two sides to the story. But suddenly, you heard one side, and it sounds right, so now you're angry at that person. You don't even know why you're angry. It's because you're carrying an illegal pain. And you have to watch yourself. And you'll act angry with that person. Meanwhile, that person was innocent. Maybe it was this person that was the knucklehead. I mean, <clears throat> maybe they were wrong. <clears throat> Glory to God. Hallelujah. So what did they do? From that day on, verse 16, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. All of them were engaged. There was not one observer in that particular work. They were all active. Some were building the wall and some were watching. Is everything all right? Sector 5, is everything okay? Oh, yes, Sector 5, good, I'm, I'm all right. Sector 6, is everything? Well, maybe not. I don't think Radio Shack existed at the time. But there was some way. Actually, I remember what it was. They would actually blow the shofars. And there were specific signals that they would send out to say everything was fine, or there was war, or there was a general meeting. That's how they actually did it back then. They didn't even have cell phones. And if you look at Jerusalem and the length and the breadth of Jerusalem, it is huge. Those major walls that exist, huge and large. And you know, once they got their mind together to build, it was done in 52 days. 52 days. When the enemies went and they saw them start to build the work, they laughed. They said, you're going to build with those stones? You're going to build? Look, look, the place is all messed up. Even if a fox stands on it, it'll break down. Come on, guys, you can't do anything. Says, Listen, the hand of the Lord's upon us. This is going to happen. We're going to do it. Then when it was built halfway, the enemies got a little concerned. And they said, Nehemiah, we have to meet with you. And they sent Four times the message. Nehemiah, we need to meet with you. And Nehemiah kept on sending the message back. He said, I have no time to meet with you. I'm in the midst of doing something great. See, each and every time the enemy will try to distract you and take you away from your focus and try to get you messed up with stuff so that you will not proceed and accomplish that which you're being called to do. 
If your hands are idle, if they're not moving, you're, you're out of focus. Part of your focus is you're building the future in relation to your, your, your gifting, your ability. There's something that you should be actively doing. These men were working or they were watching, but they were all working. I got no amen on that one. That's all right. See, you're deep in thought. Amen. And it says, those who carried materials did the work with one hand and they held the weapon with the other. See, they were, they were constantly watching. Say with me, watching. This is a season where you got to watch. You have to watch your family. You have to watch your children. You have to watch your future, your destiny. You can't put that in the hands of other people. You have to watch it with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your body. Your relationship with God, you've got to watch it. Amen. Remember God and fight. Say, say, say that to your, name, your neighbor. Remember God and fight. It doesn't say remember God and run away. It says remember God and fight. Say to your, to your other neighbor, remember God and fight. Except you, Lourdes. I know you don't have one on the other side. Praise God. So I appreciate that when looking at that. Now, the reason why we walk through a valley... The reason why we go through these deep moments, these dark moments, is because we're on a journey. I just said something deep for you. In order for you to get to your destination, you have to go through a journey. Anybody here have ever get on a plane? Why do you get on a plane? You're on a journey. So on the plane, sometimes you're enjoying the moment, and sometimes your knuckles are Solid white because you're grabbing on hard uh, to the armrest, right? But all of that is part of what? The journey. It's the journey that we're... We're not pitching a tent. We're not moving into that place. All we're doing is passing through. Praise God. Thank God for that. So if you're going through a difficult time right now, don't worry because you're just passing through. And the reason why you're passing through is because you've seen something beyond the valley. Hallelujah. I might be going through a hard time now, but that's all right because I've seen beyond the valley. School might be a little difficult now, but that's okay. I've seen beyond the valley. I've seen the promotion. Hallelujah. I've seen the good salary I'm going to get on the other side of the valley. I might be dealing with a difficult boss right now, but I've seen the other side of the valley. Just, just two more years of this and I have my own setup. I'm starting my business now and it's very hard, but I see I've seen the other side of the valley. I'm serving now. It doesn't look like I'm getting anywhere, but that's okay. I'm sowing like a farmer. I know I'm going to get my harvest. Things might not look like anything's coming to pass, but see, I'm looking at this scenario like a farmer. I don't have to look at the field every five minutes after I've sowed the seed. In Christianity, there are people that send out the promise of God. They prophesy the word of the Lord over their family. And then they run after the word, dig up the seed, and look at it. How come you're not bearing seeds and you're not fruit yet? Come on. Put it back in. Then the next day they go back and they dig out the seed again. What's the matter with you? You're not working. There are people like that in the kingdom of God. No. You sow the seed and you cover it. And now you make sure that the environment is correct for that seed to grow. What's a correct environment? Well... You have to have some sunshine. Right? Isn't that true? So you need to allow the sun to shine in your situation. But some of you, your windows are so dirty that the sun can't shine in. 
So you've got to get working on clarifying your sunshine. How? Clean your windows. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm not actually saying your apartment, okay? So please, I'm not criticizing you. That's your business. What I am saying is windows are indicative of revelation. In other words, it allows you to see further than you normally could see if it was just four walls. So what happens is, if you have clean windows, you get to see a lot farther than if you had dirty windows. So in other words, when we allow the word of the Lord and revelation knowledge to flow in our situation, although the ground doesn't look like anything's happened, you're hearing God. That's all right, my son. That's all right, my daughter. I'm hearing your word. I'm hearing your prayers. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to restore everything that the enemy took away. I'm listening to your prayers. So you're getting a lot more revelation than what other people are saying. Some people will come up to your scenario and your situation and say, empty ground, barren ground. I don't see anything. You don't have to because I see it. Amen? See, but to some people, their mind is so clouded and so darkened that as the word of the Lord tries to come in, it can't get in. It can't get in. Ah, oh, you know, this thing don't work for me. This church stuff don't work for me. You know what I'm saying? I've been to church before, but it don't work for me. I've been there, you know, I, I did all that stuff, you know. I know that stuff. You ever met anybody like that? Met a whole bunch of people like that. They really think that they have this thing mastered. You don't master God. You don't know what you're talking about. The clay doesn't say to the one, you know, the owner of the clay, uh, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, we, we're not thinking here. We need to submit to the process. But a farmer understands that something is happening under the ground. Most of the stuff that happens, happens in the dark. By the time it manifests, and everybody's saying, wow, you're so lucky. Look at all that you have. Excuse me. When I was sowing, you're the one that came to me and said that I had nothing. You're the one that came to me and said, you should give up. You should curse God and die, <laughs> right? He said, Job's wife said that to Job. Ah, but they don't know what I know. They don't know what you know. So you're able to stand when people are looking and they're not seeing anything because you know something beyond the valley. Come on, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, impairment of vision will always create problems with your forward mobility. So you need to clean your vision in this day. You need to know that God is on the throne. You need to know that His Word is true, that He will never fail. It might not happen exactly the way you want it to happen. I heard a prophetic word the other day, just the other day, that God said to his people, and we need to embrace it even here. It says, I am answering your prayer, but I'm not answering it the way you think I'm going to answer it. God is not limited by the way you think, sir or ma'am. God has an infinite amount of ways to answer your prayer. Hallelujah. Another thing that we need to understand is the truth that you don't know cannot set you free. If you don't know the truth, how can you work with the particular truth? So how do we get to know stuff? Just like you're doing. Get here Sundays. Get here Wednesdays. Get there Fridays when we're teaching. Go to the small groups. How many of you are in a small group? Praise God. These small groups are sometimes even better than the Sunday meetings because you can ask questions and you could get involved and share and, and, and learn so much. Coming this January... Uh, or in that between January and February, we're going to restart all of our educational processes. Because let me tell you, we're, we're going to do some great things for God in the year 08. We're already poised and we're getting organized for that. And we're going to do some awesome things in Christ. Amen. Yes. 
Another thing is, whatever you accept in your life, you can't change. If you accept that this is the way you are, and that's the way it's always going to be, guess what? That's exactly the way it's going to happen. Because what you accept in your life, you cannot change. What have you accepted in your life? What, do you, what have you accepted about yourself? Yeah, that's the way it's always going to be with me. Uh, you know something? You're right. As long as you think that way, that's exactly the way it's going to work out. So let me give you several truths about obstacles and problems. Several truths. Number one, although problems and conditions do exist, only people with vision will identify the problem. And only people with vision will be moved by it and moved to do something about it. Problems and situations exist, but only people that are moved. Jesus saw their condition, the Bible says, and he was moved with compassion. Only people with compassion, only people with the heart of God will be moved to do something. Nehemiah was moved. And in 52 days, they built the wall. And the wall was very important because the wall was symbolic of their safety, of their protection. A city in those days without walls was a city destroyed. The only cities that were strong were cities that had walls. Because when the enemy came in, he couldn't get in. So walls were very important. Number two, right now there are problems and obstacles that are hindering us and our families. Right now, problems and obstacles do exist. So since they exist, somebody's got to get moved to do something about it. Otherwise, it will remain. Do you know there are problems and issues in families that keep on jumping from generation to generation and nobody does anything about it? How sick is that? How terrible is that? How unfortunate is that? In my own situation, I mean, I share it with you, not because I want to boast, but because of the mercies of God. You know, my, my family, they had problems with alcoholism. And it was a standard, a normal thing. So by the time I was 12, I was already drinking, smoking. It was normal. I, re- I remember, today I remember the day I, w- I had the cigarette in my hand. My, my, and I was, I don't know, like 12 years old. And I was in the living room. I was hiding it from my dad. And my dad got a glimpse of it. And when he saw me smoking, he said nothing to me. You know why? Because he couldn't. Because he himself was a smoker. You know where I got my first high from? My dad. We sat down and we drank 100 proof. I forgot what, oh, yeah, Southern Comfort. I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old. And I sat there because I wanted to be like dad. And I got high. And my dad facilitated it. He said, oh, it's my son. He's growing up. And he was proud of it. See, but see, I'm not blaming him today because now I'm 49 and I understand that was the truth that he knew. So he thought that was normal. And he was passing on what he knew to his son. But later on, the Spirit of God, in his tender mercies, delivered me from that situation. And I remember those days when I prayed. I said, Father, I pray, give me the strength to reject the misunderstanding of my family. I know they love me. I know that they weren't trying to harm me, but inadvertently they were passing on a dysfunction to me that would have guaranteed that by the time I was 50 or 55 or 59, my liver would have... I know because today I've lost several good friends, good pastors, good bishops that in their early days, they did drugs or heavy in the alcohol. And what happens, it's a time bomb in your body. And unless the Lord intervenes, the time bomb will go off 
We lost a great bishop a couple of years ago, Gerald Kaufman, because of that. In his early days, he was heavy into, into um, I forgot the, 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 oh, heroin. And he admits it, he shared it, he didn't hide it. He shared it in his early days, that's what he did. He ran the roofs of the Bronx. And one day, a, a dear lady just preached to him and loved on him and got him saved. But already the, the, the toxin and the poison had set its, its, its death you know, knell in the body. He just didn't know it. We lost another bishop not so long ago. They did a great work. Wonderful. They, they changed their life. But already it, it, the damage had done inside their body. I lost a good friend of mine, Pastor Mickey, not so long ago. What a wonderful man. But in his early days. So God had mercy on me. I'm looking at this situation, and I would have gone the very same way. It was normal to me. I know what it is to walk in the 60s and the 70s, walk into the places, man, the, the, the drugs were there. It just, the needles are just there. Just walk by it, and I could have had it, but just something kept me. The Spirit of God had mercy on me. Amen. And He took me out of that early. So I looked at the scenario. It says, I reject those dysfunctions of my family. So it stopped with me. So today my children, they don't have to feel, oh, I've got to do this because my family did that. No, they got a different thing. I was able to embrace the purposes of God for me and start operating in the principles of God. I don't forget my family. I love them. You know what I did? Before my dad passed on, and I think, I don't know if Crystal was there. I think Natalie was there. I took the manuscript of the book I wrote, and I put it on my, on my dad's bedside, and I, I said, Dad, I want to let you know, your kids are okay. We're serving God. We're doing well. You know, you, you, you're blessed. And I brought the book to him. I said, Dad, I want you to hold this. This is a manuscript. This is the first book that the Nazario family is putting out. See, I want him to know that, you know, everything's all right. God turned everything right, around. Years, years later, I mean, he's on his deathbed now, but several years before that, I had led him to, to the Lord. God used me to lead my dad to the Lord. In this church, my mom came to Jesus. You see how when you catch something, it, it will affect you today, but it also impacts your tomorrow. But watch this. Many times, you can actually go back to your past and bring healing to your past. God brought healing to my present, to my future, and to my past. Come on, somebody. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mr. Halsey one time said this, There aren't any great men here, just great challenges that ordinary men like you and me are forced by circumstances to meet. Wow, what a great man. No, he was just a regular guy. But circumstance forced him to either run away or to get up there and stand and says, No more. Somebody's got to say this. Remember the civil rights movement? It was not just Martin Luther King. It was a group of men and women. Each one stood. They had a chance to run away like most people did in the past. Remember the lady in the bus? Wow. What a legacy. I think she's like the only woman that has ever been paraded in the White House. You know, her, her body and, uh, in state, laying in state. I think she was the only woman that they allowed us. What an honor. It's because when it came time to put up... <laughs> when it came time to stand up, he said, listen, I'm not hearing a word of the Lord here, but there's a burden. I'm, I'm not getting a specific word. I'm not getting this Charlton Heston-ish type of apparition, right? 
But I just know that this is right. I just know that this is God's heart. I just know this is God's will. And if I don't stand up, who's going to stand up? I don't see anybody else standing up. Most people, what they'll do is if they don't see anybody else, they sort of like walk away. Isn't that true? And I know here, there's no way we would do that. We will all stand up. Amen. Like the mighty men and women of God that we are. Right? I'm just joking. I know that there's been scenarios where probably all of us have gone, I choose to bow out of this one. I don't want to get involved with this. I don't have time for this. This is inconvenient. But you know what I found about God? God will also, or I'm sorry, God will always call you at very inconvenient times. He'll always ask you to do something when you're your most busiest or when you're not in the mood or when you're angry and upset or when they've done you wrong. That's when he calls you to do something great for him. When you don't have any more energy, or at least you think you don't have any energy, that's when he'll call you to do something great for God. When there's nothing in it for you, so you think. Mm. Peter Marshall one time said, when we long for life without difficulties, remind us that oaks grow strong in contrary winds and diamonds are made under pressure. My God. I don't know about you, but I'm getting blessed. I'm getting blessed because God's speaking to me today. God is saying, son, daughter, what you're going through is very good. It's forming you. It's making you. It's breaking the comfort barriers. It's breaking the perceived limitations. And I'm I'm about ready to do something in and through you that you were not even aware of. You didn't even think that you were capable of doing it. But today I stand as a testimony. Today I'm able to say to you, I'm able to say to anybody who meets me, that God has done far more with me than I ever thought he would ever. And guess what? He's still not through with me yet. Come on, say to your neighbor, he's still not through with you yet. Most people, point number three, most people don't care enough to see and do something about the condition of humanity. Right now we have one of our members, Helen. She's in Santo Domingo. She is going to do her part. But guess what? Before she left, she asked each and every one of us, help me to help them. And you did. Some of you gave $25. Some of you gave her 50 Some of you gave her 100 God knows. Some of you might have given even... You know, you're there with her now. She's in the forefront, but we're all there together. And not only are we there together... We, as a church, have been helping a church in Argentina for three years, sending them a monthly offering. And now we're about ready to embark on helping another church right in the Harlem area. They asked me for help, and I say, listen, I cannot give you a lot. We don't have a lot at this stage of the game, because we're still in process as a church. But there's coming a day we'll be able to do a lot more. But what we can do for now, at the end of the service, we'll take a second offering. Whatever's there, at the end of the month, we'll pick it up, and we'll send it to you. Because he's just starting out, a good friend of ours, uh, Pastor Michael Faulkner. And we're just going to continue helping. But we can do it. And now watch this. As a church, God's ready to do something through us. He's put us through a process. He's put us through a shift, a major cataclysmic shift as a church. This last four-year process has not been easy for us. We were comfortable in the Harlem area. We had 
all our stuff in place. Our sound equipment was within the walls, wires in the ceiling. We had it made. We just opened up the door and we had service. Suddenly we're on a journey here. God says, okay, enough. Clouds moving. Glory, clouds moving. You need to go. There's another place I'm sending you to because there's a generation of people that you're going to minister to. There is a harvest that you're going to minister. There's an inheritance that you are to receive as a church in the new place that I send you. Right? Amen. Okay, praise God. We go. And suddenly we are attacked by problems, situations, circumstances. Along the way, some of our people just feel, I really don't feel knit to that region. So they, they, they remain on the other side, which is fine because now they're serving in another church. And that's fine. God positions his people as it were, as he will. But meanwhile, along the way, while we're here, now we're developing new relationships. Now God is bringing the people that are going to be pillars for this next move of God in the history of this local house. And what are we going to do about it? Well, I say you need to see that there's far more than the valley. You need to put on special binoculars of the vision of the Spirit of God because there's something that God is already doing in this place and some of it is, as it were, hovering in the spirit realm. That as we start pulling it down through our prayers, through our declarations, through our urgency, Lord, we need to see this happen in our region. Lord, we need to see the people saved. Lord, we need to see this young generation that's being lost by multi philosophies in school. Lord, we need to see them saved by the power of God. People that are, are, are divorced and hurt, they need to be restored in their heart, in their mind, in their future. Well, it's working. Might be the wire. Amen. Well, put the mic next to me just in case. Okay, point number four. Point number four. The Nehemiahs, the Josephs, the Joshuas of the kingdom of God understand the power and the value contained in the midst of the obstacles. Not everybody sees the power of the obstacle. Most people don't see it. Most people are bothered by problems. Most people run away. They spend most of their life running away from problems. Running away from confrontations. Running away from correction. They don't realize that that's where the power lies. It's in the midst, standing in the midst of the problems and confrontations. A gentleman named Horace one time said, Adversity has the effect of eliciting talents which in prosperous circumstances would have lain dormant. You don't grow in comfort. You always grow under pressure. That's why God allows you to go through difficult times so that you can grow and so that the greatness inside of you will be squeezed out. Because in times of comfort, you won't go the extra mile. Nah, sir, I'm all right. You know, that's, that's not for me. I'm busy, man. I'm doing my thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing my thing. I'm traveling. I'm having a great time. You're not doing anything. You're wasting valuable resources. I'm not saying we can't travel. What I am saying is that let's be focused in what God has called you to do. Let's be focused as a church. Let's just move for God. And then, yeah, when it's time for vacation, go for it. But most of the time, let's just make sure that God is getting glory in and through our lives. Amen? Are you a Nehemiah? 
Are you a Joshua? Then you should be bothered by this. You should be bothered by the empty seats. You should be bothered that we're not farther ahead. Are you aware that most of the time I live halfway frustrated? Halfway frustrated because so much I want to see this church doing. I want to see this church moving and, and, and on fire. I, I, I had to repent before God the other day. Say, God, how come? You know, I go before God. Say, how come we're not more farther ahead? Didn't you say your word? And then I had to remember. Oh, forgive me, Lord. I have to give patience its perfect work. Sometimes I want God to work faster than the law he set in motion. In other words, when I sow for rice, it takes within one year I can get rice. But I cannot take an acorn and plant it in the ground and command an oak tree to be fully grown by the end of the year. I have to allow the process of time. And sometimes there's a command on your harvest. And God said, this will take five years. Now, it can take five years or it could take 40 years. If we sow it in the proper conditions, we'll have in five years our fruit. But if we keep on picking it up and then putting it back in, picking it up and putting it back in, what do I mean? Okay. You prayed, you received the word of the Lord. So, okay, God, I'm going to go with you. And then halfway down the line, you just give up and you disappear. You know what you just finished doing? You finished putting in hiatus a process that was already in the way or on the way. Now you left. What did you do? You stopped praying. You stopped believing. You gave up in your heart. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. In the book of um, Santiago, James, the book of James, it says that let no man who has a double mind think he's going to receive anything from God. So there are promises that we had initiated by receiving them and confessing them. And then suddenly along the way, we stopped. You know what happened? The process also stopped. So two years, three years later, we pick it up again. Guess what happens? Now at the very place where you gave up, now it starts again. See, so now you have these extra two years. You have to wait. And it's not God's fault. Whose fault is it? I, I'm, I'm speaking to you some deep stuff. I'm not treating you like, like newcomers here. I'm giving you the truth of God and in love. So, you know, so you, you need to understand this. God wants to do something and he needs it to be done in this season because it's about all about them all about those precious people we're already blessed now they need to be blessed too and how they're going to be blessed by us entering and becoming all that god called us to be amen dennis waitley one time said this he said the door of success swings on the hinges of obstacles you want to succeed then don't run away from your obstacles you want to succeed be the one that goes extra that does extra. You want to succeed? Be the one that gets up earlier and goes to sleep later. And does their homework and does it well and does it better than the next guy. You want the promotion? Work harder than the average person. I got no amens here. See, because most people are at work complaining. And the boss they want me to do more. I'm not going to do more, more. Nobody else does more, so I, don't, I shouldn't be doing no more either. I hear it all the time, Jerry. All the time. And I'm just looking at him and says, man, you're working yourself out of a promotion. My God. One time Mr. Rohn said this, this all-knowing God gave to us a delicately balanced sphere called earth. On it, he placed the intelligent human who would either develop it 
or destroy it. How terribly fascinating that a God would leave both projects, earth as well as humans, unfinished. Across the rivers and streams, he built no bridges. He left the pictures unpainted, the songs unsung, the books unwritten, and space unexplored. For the accomplishment of those things, God created an unfinished human who, within his heart and mind, had the capacity to do all of these things and more, depending on his own choice. Wow. How many books in this room have not been written yet because we've refused to write them? How many projects have gone unfinished because we have chosen not to finish the projects? My God. Then he said this, attitude determines choice and choice determines results. All that we are and all that we can become has indeed been left to us. For as long as we continue to draw breath, we have the chance to complete the work in and for the earth and for ourselves that God has begun in us. My God. That's a lot of responsibility. I don't know if I'm ready for that. If it is to be, it's up to me. Things are not happening and they're not happening because I'm not making them happen. I thought things just happened by serendipity. Very fancy word. I thought things happened just, just through osmosis. In other words, if I just wait long enough, things would automatically just happen. No. They won't just automatically happen. They won't happen in your life. They won't happen in your family's life. They won't even happen in the life of a church until we make them happen, until we catch a burden. Nehemiah showed up and he saw the walls. What did he do? He said, help me. And with this I will close. Let me give you this paragraph. Nehemiah, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Nehemiah did so. You know how? First thing he did, he utilized what we call identificational repentance. You know what identificational repentance is? In other words, he associated with the people that sinned in Israel. And he said, Father, we have sinned against you. We have forgotten your word. We have forgotten you. We have pushed your laws aside. We have done whatever we pleased. We have not sought you. He identified with the sins of his people. And he prayed to God for forgiveness. First thing he did was he went before God and asked for forgiveness. So the first thing we need to do is ask God for forgiveness. If we're not farther ahead, we're the ones that didn't go farther. It's not God's heart. God wants us to prosper. Because there's a world that needs to see us prosper. Prosper in what? Prosper in our gifts. Prosper in our call. Prosper in evangelism. Prosper in our jobs so we could give more, so we could send more Helens out. Hello? I was talking this morning to some of the ladies in the back, and, you know, we're talking about um, Osteen. Anybody here saw the 60 Minutes program on Joel Osteen? About a month ago. And it, it blew me away. I had such a good time watching it. Because he doesn't have this normal, he's a normal guy, uh, bench presses 300 pounds, so he's in very good shape. And he spends most of his time with his children. Then on Thursday, he sits down and, and for, three, for three days he prepares his message. Meanwhile, other people are running the corporation. Other people are running the business, running the church. It's very well organized, that, that, that place. But he brought the reporter to the church or the building. You know it's not just a building. It's what? It's a stadium. It's exactly what it is. 
So what happens is, it's a huge stadium, so the reporter's looking. And he says, depending on the mood of the service, the ceiling... Happen again. Okay, testing, okay. The ceiling has lights, and it actually changes according to the mood of the service. And it is cool. It has waterfalls, and him and Victoria were just sharing. They were so excited about that. He says, how much did this cost? And if I'm not mistaken, he said it cost about $100 million. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But guess what happens? You have, um, he has, I think, what, I, I don't know, like 37 to 40,000 members now at this, at this stage of the game. People from all over that particular area and beyond go to that church to hear the word of the Lord. And of course he gets criticized that, oh, you could be using that money for better stuff. Listen, man, that church is out giving most other churches. They're very giving people. And you know where that started? It did not start with him. It started with his father. There was a group of men and women who gave toward a common vision. And they built up something that was bigger than them individually. And through that vehicle called that local church, they were able to touch their city. To the point that when his father died, it was an 8,000 member church. So they were very successful. They had one of the largest churches already in that particular place. Now watch this. They, they leased that other place, that new stadium, for 99 years. Now the smaller church, the 8,000-seater, the smaller church. This is 500 chairs, so imagine 8,000. They were able to bless another church with it. So the other church that is growing now enters that church, and they're also blessed. See, there's no waste in the economy of God. So the first thing that Nehemiah did was he identified with the sin of not doing something. There was a standing prophetic word. Seventy years, Israel would be in what? Hmm? For 70 years, they would be what? They would be slaves in another nation. But after 70 years, they would come back. He knew the prophetic word. So he says, listen, the timing is right. So let me do something about it. See, it's all about timing. Hearing the word of the Lord and acting on it. See, if somebody else would have rose up and done it, God would have done it through them. But it took Nehemiah. What is God reaching out to you and through you to get done in this day? See, when God puts an urgency on you, it's because His timing is there for it. And today, we're probably in sin, or we have sinned, by refusing to allow God to be great through us. And we've allowed the timing to pass in, the, in past seasons. But what about now? What about today's season? We can allow God to be great through us. Amen? Amen. Second thing he did was he prayed and he asked for strength. Anybody here have challenges with your strength, you know, in this season? Your strength goes high, then low. Anybody? I'm raising my hand, so I mean, I've gone through it. Sometimes I'm strong. Other days I'm saying, oh God, I need your strength. It's okay to ask God for strength. It's okay. Whoever asks, receives. We need to, I mean, there, there are situations, my God, we need strength. We need God to add His super to our natural, because we just don't have it that moment. Sometimes I ask God for wisdom. And you know something? I ask God for wisdom, not only as I'm preaching or in the Word. Sometimes I ask wisdom for a plumbing problem in the building that I supervise. I ask God. He's involved in every aspect of my life. Sometimes I ask God for wisdom for an employee or for a board of director. Before every board meeting, I go endued with the wisdom of God. Why? Because I pray and ask God for wisdom. So I go in there confidently because I know the wisdom of the Lord is going to flow. And I dress well. I dress the part. And I go and says, here I am. I'm ready for you now. Because I know that God and His wisdom are there with me. 
Nehemiah prayed and he asked for it. And then the next thing is, he got involved. He was willing to roll up his sleeves. Too many people today are just there, but they don't roll up their sleeves for anything significant. We only roll up our sleeves for a good ball game. And don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to spring because I want to play softball again. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I want to play softball again. I've been, I've been exercising, I'm getting my shoulder ready, man. By the time spring comes, I want to play ball again. But my passion cannot be limited just to that. Can't be. I think Raquel went to one game. And it was like the worst game we ever played. And she saw it, she went, okay. Guys, I think you need another couple of years of preparation. He knew the word of the Lord. How many of you are seeking God and His word? He knew the word. He knew that in 70 years, this would happen. So he moved with confidence, knowing that there was going to be a response because God's word said so. That's why we have you do declarations. Because I want you to start thinking the way God thinks of us. And if we start declaring how God thinks of us and what God expects of us, we're going to become God-centered versus circumstance-centered versus emotion-centered. An emotion-centered Christian cannot be effective in the kingdom of God. We have to be word-based Christians. If God said it, we can do it. If God said it, He can do it through us. Amen. Joshua said, God said it. We can just take the city. Caleb said, yes, we can do this thing. God spoke it. There'll be food for us. Let's do it. But the other ones that were emotion-centered stopped them because they were afraid. He chose to act. He entered in the new season with a humble and contrite spirit. And because of this, he was able to receive wisdom and insight for his task. No specific word, but there was a burden. What's the burden of the Lord today? I'm telling you, get excited. Because as we come in through December, God is posturing us. He's positioning us. The year 07 for us truly has been a year to grow us up. The, the, the number 7 in Scripture means maturity, means completion. And boy, has God... It's almost like when you want to boil water a little faster, what do you do? What do you do? I'm not going to give you any hint. What do you do? Okay, you guys are so smart. You turn the heat up. And for a long time, it was slow baking us. I'm thinking turkey now. My wife did 250 degrees for eight hours. And let me tell you, that turkey just, just, um, wow, that was great. But sometimes there's no time for that. And our generation knows that because we are a microwave generation, are we not? We have no time to roast the beans and, and, and then to pass the beans through the process so it becomes a fine dust, right? And then take it and, and put it inside our, our, our machines. In the old days, we used to do that, right? Wow, I, I guess I am a little older than you, huh? When, 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 I, met, when I met my wife years ago, uh, her mom used to make fresh coffee. And the whole house smelled of the aroma. And she used to say, Mijito, ¿te gustaría un ta una tacita de café? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. I want a cup of coffee. Because it was just such an aroma, you know. And I, w I, I wouldn't walk. I just flowed, you know, through the, you know, I just sat in my seat. This took me. <laughs> How serious, that, that Bustelo in those days was, so I missed that. We need to go back to those days again. But there's no time. So everything's quick. One, two, three, one, two, three. Isn't that true? 
If you, if you need something, you just go to what? Starbucks or to what else? Huh? Well, La Bodega, it, that's even slower because you get the material and cook. But today, we just go to Dunkin' Donuts. We, we, just, go, uh, we just go to the king. Oh, no, no longer the king. The king has a hit on him. He's, he's history. Oh, you don't get that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> you haven't seen the commercial. The, the point is, what I'm saying is sometimes things have got to be quick. And sometimes in the economy of God, God steps up the pressure. He steps up the fire. And we have felt that. Anybody here? 07, we felt the fire. Because God was saying, okay, now I need for you to finish the job because you're coming into 08. 08 means new beginnings. 08 means new season. And this is the first time in a very long time that both the Jewish calendar and the United States calendar agree. Both of us, uh, both of the, the calendars are at 8. It already happened in the Jewish calendar. We are now in 8, the year 8. So that, that means it's new beginnings. And God is saying to us also, it's a new season. Fine. Uh, the past season, you did this, you didn't do that, you messed up here, you exceeded here, you did well there, but that's a past season. Now I'm doing a new thing. Say to your neighbor, God's doing a new thing. So let's embrace it. Come on, say to your neighbor, let's embrace it. Let's activate it. Let's be like Nehemiah and his team. Everyone worked. Everyone added to the vision. Everyone added to the purposes of God. Come on, somebody. Let's all stand. Come on, let's praise Him. Hallelujah. Next week, I'm going to get a little deeper. Let me tell you, did this bless you today? All right? I rejoice that it blessed you, because it blessed me. See, for a teacher to give it, they have to study two, three, and four times. So I'm getting it first. So my spirit man is being really, really blessed by this whole process of getting into the Word and seeing this new season in a different light. And I appreciate that you're getting it too. But watch this. There is somebody else that also needs this. But they weren't here today. But they can be here next week. See, this is pivotal because forward momentum in a person's life cannot happen without revelation. Forward momentum cannot happen until first there's a breakthrough in the mind and in the heart. Today, you are starting to experience that emotional, mental, spiritual breakthrough. The Bible says that God desires that we prosper and be healed even as our, right, even as our soul prospers. So as our soul prospers, then our bodies and minds prosper. You know what your soul is? That's your mind, your will, your intellect, that which makes you uniquely you. That's the real you. When that body dies, the real you goes in the presence of God. That soul includes the way you think. So as we prosper here, and as we prosper here, then it will manifest. And as we prosper as a church... As our gifts come together, as we learn to, to love each other and to respect each other and to serve together, God's going to do something way beyond our natural ability. And in the future, we'll be able to send more Helens and we'll be able to even send Osteens and we'll be able to send T.D. Jakes and different for that generation. Why? Because we're 
was saying, something needs to happen here, and I'm the one. If it is to be, it's up to me. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to stop making excuses for myself. I'm going to stop listening to this guy because he's always making excuses. I'm going to stop looking, listening to her because she's always complaining about everything, and I'm just going to make something happen. And nobody celebrates the complainers in history. They only celebrate those that make something happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and for revelation knowledge that that is gushing forth like rivers of living water that are priming the pump of our forward momentum. And I thank you for the processes that you have put us through these last four four years. And thank you for 07 that you you even stepped up the heat, my God. To finish the process of maturing us and also to reorganize us for the purposes of of forward momentum. For the purposes of being able to receive the harvest, Lord God, that you promised to us. Father, we know there's a word out there. We know that you spoke to us. And uh, we know that you said that there's an inheritance that this church would receive. And there are are people, a multitude. You spoke to me about a multitude that would come and fellowship and and be reconnected to the purposes of God, my Lord. Father, you showed it to me. You, You shared it with me. You shared it with this church over and over again. And you even spoke to us, Lord God, that in our near future there would be even buildings, Lord God, that we would be able to utilize to help these people, to train them and bless them. And sanctuaries, Lord God, that we would not have to rent because we would own as a congregation. So, Father, today, once again, we declare it. And once again, Lord, we come before your presence. And first and foremost, we ask your forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, O God, that we as a people many times would not move when you told us to move. When we rebelled against the process, when we, we simply said, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to. I don't have the energy for it. I, don't, I really don't feel like it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not just going to get involved in it. Forgive us, oh God. Oh Lord, we say, here we are, Lord.